Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. Today, I have with me a brand strategy expert who has worked on both the client and agency side with world-class multinationals across the globe, including Unilever, Cantar Consulting, Wallace Church, and her own agency, Art of Branding USA. She is an educator, having taught at Baruch, the University of Colorado, and now NYU, where she is the academic lead for the new Executive Masters of Science in Marketing and Strategic Communications Program, which we will talk about, that will launch in the fall. She is also the author of a delightful book that I just can't begin to tell you how much I enjoyed, B, Become Your True Self and Inspire Those Around You. Welcome to the podcast, Badia Gorin, and I hope I pronounced that correct, correctly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Joanne. You pronounced that perfectly, actually, <laughs> which is no small feat. And um, before we even begin, I just want to thank you for having me on your on your show and uh, I'm so excited because I because I really really loved all your guests that you've had so far and it's it's just such an honor to be here thank you oh well thank you thank you well we're going to get to that book in a couple of minutes but when I read the book I was like oh my gosh this is she's a kindred soul there's no two ways about that so um, we will talk more about that but I always like to start by asking my guests where are you from so that's actually probably the hardest question you're going to ask me during this <laughs> podcast because um, I'm from various places. So I was born in Istanbul, Turkey, um, but I was born to a, a Dutch mother and a Turkish father. And uh, we moved uh, to the Netherlands when I was only two years old. So the short answer would have been I'm from the Netherlands because that's where I grew up. Um, and that's also my native language. But uh, yeah, I was raised bilingual um, and I moved to the United States uh, in 2008 um, for, uh, you know, as an expat for a job initially for two to three years. That, that was the plan, at least. And then, of course, now fast forward uh, more than a decade um, uh, I'm still here and 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 really loving it. And I, and I skipped a bunch of steps because um, earlier in my career, and but also later, I I made all these different stops in different countries and continents, and had the privilege to work across the globe. So I, if you ask me where am I from, I would say Planet Earth. That's really <laughs> the best the best answer to give you. To be honest, you are truly a global citizen. Yes, yes. truly a global citizen. So I want to start talking about this book. So at first glance, I think it might appear to be sitting on the self-help shelf, bookshelf, but it really is a book about business. So can you talk about how this came to be? Yes, yes, of course. Well, so, you know, it's, it's very interesting when I was actually going back and forth with my publisher, we had that conversation a lot. Is this a self-help book or is this a, a business book? And we also in the end decided it's more of a, a business book, but it's for professionals that want to look within to become better at what they do, but also just as a human being to be more fulfilled and happy, because I strongly believe you cannot separate the two. Um, who you are is what you bring to your job, you know, and if you don't, then you're, uh, 
um, you're not really who you are at your job. And at some point that will that will shine through or, or, or the opposite of shining through. Right. It will you'll, you'll fall through the cracks. Um, so, you know, the reason I wrote this book was this was, you know, more than about a decade into my career where I had the privilege to work with so many people, as I mentioned, across the globe. Um, and especially as a consultant, I worked with a lot of C-suite folks. Um, and, you know, as I myself also progressed further in my career and had the privilege to be able to, to team, uh, to lead teams, I really noticed patterns with what I observed as kind of leaders that are more inspiring and are, uh, you know, motivating to people to, to, to grow and to be their best selves. Um, I noticed a pattern and a lot of the patterns really didn't have to do with how good they were at, you know, creating a brand positioning or making, um, you know, uh, a perfect strategy. Of course, those things are extremely important. But what, from what I gathered, the real secret sauce, if you will, were leaders that had real deeper levels of awareness, self-awareness, awareness of their surroundings, um, and that were genuine and authentic. So the book is really about authentic leadership um, and being very clear about who you are, what your vision is, what your purpose is. Um, and, and then I talk about, you know, each chapter is basically talking about different traits um, and, 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 and elements of just being a human being and a leader that I think contribute to being a better leader um, and just, just, just happier uh, as who you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as, as someone who has a podcast that's called Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis, I'm obviously a big believer in what you write about and how important these these attributes are to being successful as a leader. Um, in fact, you actually address mindfulness in the book early on. Can you talk about how you see mindfulness, what you, how you see it meaning yes. in, in, in the workplace? Yes. So, you know, talking about mindfulness was indeed where I started off because I think that's where everything starts. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to illustrate it with an example. When you're very stressed out, right, you have so many things on your plate. You have, say, six meetings. Uh, you have to first bring the kids to school. Uh, and then you have also a deadline of a project looming all in the same day. Um, what typically people do is we, we rush, we run, we go from one, you know, uh, deliverable to the next one meeting to the next. And what I've noticed, um, and this is not just me, if you, if you look at some of the research that is coming out of, you know, universities like Stanford, they're actually starting to show, um, you know, actual data that proves the effects of mindfulness. Of course, this is nothing new, but if you take moments of just kind of, if, even if it's 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes at the end of the day, ideally you'd want to do around 15, 20, just kind of sitting still. And I know a lot of people struggle with meditation. It's so hard to silence our you know, voices in our head. You know, you can take baby step, even if it's just taking a walk for 10 minutes and just taking in the surroundings. If you can't stop the chatter in your head, look at the trees look at, you know, the pavement that you're walking on, just kind of, just kind of taking, getting out of your head is basically what it is. And just kind of breathe, focus on your breathing, focus on your surroundings. You'll notice that when you take those 10 minutes for yourself, that the day actually starts flowing differently for a number of reasons. You really change the chemicals in your brain and your body. So it's, it's also like literally a chemical thing. But on the other hand, you just start to just feel better. You're more 
calm. If, if kind of little fires come up during the day, you're better able to address it. And obviously this doesn't happen overnight. It's, it's really, that's why it's called a practice. <laughs> if you do it, you know, consistently, um, you will start noticing the effects fairly soon between say three to six weeks. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's been a game changer for many people. And especially I feel for leaders that are responsible for other people, if you don't have that sense of kind of groundedness, then, you know, you radiate that. And then the people around you will mirror that because that's, I think, the main role of a leader is being a role model and people start mirroring the behavior. Um, and that's really kind of what, um, you know, also I'm talking about in the book. I, I interview someone at the end of each chapter. And, uh, you know, in this chapter, we heard from uh, an, an entrepreneur who, um, you know, who really was able to grow their business, uh, but almost religiously, uh, had those moments of silence just with himself before the world woke up in the morning. So that's kind of just in a nutshell, how I talked about uh, how I think about mindfulness. No, I mean, I think it's so important and you have to be so you have to be conscious of making that time to do it. And we're so our heads are so in our phones anymore. And as a leader, that's it's you really have to be super conscious because you're getting a thousand emails or, you know, now, of course, everyone wants to text you and, and which sometimes works and sometimes I find intrusive. It depends on who it is and what's going on. But we need to really be conscious to make that space. Yes, totally. And, and it's also it's very counterintuitive. You think you lost those 10 minutes, but you're gaining so much more mm -hmm. in terms of efficiency, et cetera. So and I agree with you with this always on society. It's even more important. Um, also in the evenings, literally switch off your phone after 9 p.m. You, you really don't need it unless, you know, of course, you may have a, a separate line open for emergencies in some shape or form. But really, like the notifications can be off after 9. No, there is this wonderful little function on the phone. It's called Do Not Disturb, which um, I've gotten into the habit of using more and more often, especially if I'm working on something. For me, sometimes I can meditate in the morning, but sometimes just as good for me is just to turn it all off and just write and, yes. if I st and write my own stuff, not anything that is due for anybody else or any place else. And I suddenly have more energy to do everything else. And if I dive right into what I need to do, yeah. then, then I get cranky. <laughs> I can get cranky and, yeah. and nothing gets done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. That's, I mean, writing in and of itself is such a almost therapeutic thing to do, right? For, for everyone, um, just, just, just writing down, whether it's your thoughts, or as you said, if, it, if, if you're actually writing on something like a book or a blog, um, yeah, they're very, very nice practice. So it, there's, in my view, there's a misconception. You talk about intuition in here too, of what intuition means. I think people think you have it or you don't have it, or women have easier access to it than men. You know, but in my humble little opinion, we all have it. We just have to cultivate it. And you connect mindfulness with cultivating intuition. Can you talk yes. about that? <clears throat> yes. So, and this is, you know, this is, um, this is from, from personal experience. Um, and also obviously when interviewing people for the book, when you do take those moments of actually being more, being more still and, and just quieting the world around you and the chatter in your head as much as you can, you actually get a chance to listen to your inner voice, if that makes sense. And, 
you know, I know a lot of people, and I discuss that in the book, talk about how do you know when it, when it's intuition or whether it's fear or wish or hopeful, you know, wishful thinking. Um, so that's, you know, that's obviously a very hard question to answer. But over time, you start to, I think, distinguish more between what mm -hmm. I call this inner knowing or just nerves or uh, something like just a wish. And, you know, a wish is maybe just something, an action you haven't done yet for the future, right? I feel as, as human beings also, our, our thoughts are so powerful. Um, and, and I think in this always on society, going back to your question with intuition, we shut down our intuition mm -hmm. just because we get so much distractions, whether it is that text message just that you just referred to or those emails or, you know, now I feel with Zoom, we have more meetings than before because it's oh. so easy to schedule them, right? <laughs> no. um, so, you know, and that continuously takes us away from ourselves. And I think the more we are kind of, and a lot of people are afraid to be with themselves. I mean, a lot of people it's kind of a scary place, right? To be sometimes, um, especially I think when you're maybe um, younger or going through difficult periods, but actually being with oneself is, is, um, is by doing it more, you start activating your intuition more. And, and so I, I see a very direct link between mindfulness and, and cultivating and activating our inner voice and inner wisdom. Um, and, I'm a, I'm a strong believer that that's a very, very good thing, right? Um, because I think we are we are so much wiser than than we sometimes think. No, you're absolutely right. And, and distinguishing that from fear, because as you were talking about this, I was thinking back to a point in my career when I was at CBS and I was up for a job in DC and I wanted that next promotion level so much. But I remember at the first interview thinking, I... I I, I don't know if I should do this. And I dismissed, I dismissed it as my fear, um, but it was really my intuition because it was not the right move for me to make. And we found that out yep. a couple of years later, um, <laughs> but, um, but I was too young then to distinguish. I, I assumed that it was my fear rather than my intuition. Now, now I know, yeah. now, now, now I know better. Now I can tell the difference, but that takes a long, it takes, it takes practice. It definitely takes practice. Yeah. You, you also write about the importance of so many things you wrote in here that were like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so with her on this, of letting go and surrendering. And that is something that is really antithetical to what we think of when it comes to business and achieving goals. Oh, I can't let go, got to push, 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 but it's still necessary. So can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So that was actually the toughest chapter in the book. And it was one that I really, really feel strongly about. Um, and, and as I started interviewing more folks, as we got to the, to the core of what we mean with surrender, um, it became much easier. So to be clear, surrender is not about accepting defeat. It's not about warfare. Um, it's nothing like that. What I mean with surrender in my book is really kind of practicing that art of acceptance and knowing when to let go of control and when to have trust. Um, and it has actually nothing to do with um, not wanting to change things, right? Because I also believe if you start from a place of acceptance, you actually can change things more. You know, that saying of whatever you resist persists, mm -hmm. I, I, I really kind of believe strongly in. So you... You know, let's let's take, you know, a cold, for example, when you have a cold, 
do you think you will get better quicker if you just keep going as if you don't have a call just saying, you know, I don't have, you know, I, I'm, I'm stronger than this cold. I'm just going to keep going. Or is it better to take one day where, you know, you drink your orange juice, you chicken soup, you go, you know, go to sleep early, you take it easy and, and then get up and, and continue uh, with what you wanted to do. So that's really what I'm talking about with acceptance. Once you really, again, start with awareness, accept what currently is right this moment, you cannot change it. So by accepting it, you also get more clarity, you get more calm versus anger or frustration. And from that point, thinking about what are my next steps to be able to transform the situation that I'm currently in is, is a much more effective way to make change than to not surrender and keep fighting and, and start with that place of resistance. So that's really at the heart of what we mean with, what I mean with, with surrender. You know, as you were speaking, I'm thinking, wow, we all had this giant lesson during the pandemic, especially when we're in the, in the heat of it, of having to just accept. We couldn't, there was no choice. And I'm wondering as you're speaking, if that's why so many people have made so many life changes coming out of that, because they actually had that time to just say, I have to sit. There's nothing I can do. I can't leave my house now <laughs> without, right. without, as one of my friends said, without bubble wrap on me. And, yeah. <laughs> and really, you know, take an assessment of where you are and where you want to go. Yeah, I do think it, it, it sparked so much, um, so much change in so many people from a place of real deep awareness. Because otherwise, we're just running away from ourselves and our and our and our inner voice. Uh, so yes, I I I agree with you. I, I really think it was a, in that sense, um, you know, a, a positive contributor. I think to many people's lives. So now you're taking your business experience, what you've written about, and you are serving as the academic lead for this new program that NYU is offering, which is a mouthful and executive masters in marketing and strategic communications. So what does that mean? And as we marketers like to ask, what's your differentiating factor? <laughs> right. So, so first of all, the, the program is, is really one of a kind. So we really haven't seen a program like this, um, you know, in the U S where you, um, where you get a master's degree and it's focused on uh, marketing and strategic communications. And, um, you know, it's, it's in, in a cohort. So you're, you're with a group of 20, 25 um, senior level professionals around 10 to 15 years of work experience that are people that are on the rise in marketing and PR, um, but who really wish to advance or perhaps pivot to another industry and who are really kind of gearing toward that C-suite role. So it's, you know, it's, it's designed by senior level professionals from the industry. The courses are taught by faculty that have uh, business experience, but we also bring in current CMOs and CCOs that are regular guest lecturers that are involved in, in, in thinking about the curriculum and, and what people like this uh, that have this ambition need. Um, so I think that's a big differentiating factor. The fact that we're so focused on marketing and PR, it's a, it's, it's a full degree. It's not a certificate. We see a lot of executive level certificates uh, in this realm, but not a full degree. And we kind of did the legwork for so many people in terms of really um, curating 
what you need holistically to be prepared for, say, a CMO role, right? Versus an individual having to think, okay, I need to uh, fill this gap or I need to fill that gap. And then you curate different certificates to then bring it together. In this, you know, in this, in this program, it's all done for you. And again, the other differentiating factor is uh, the cohort. So you'll have a lifelong network of peers and people um, that are in marketing and PR across different industries. And those are connections you will uh, make for, you know, for the rest of your, if you're, of your life. So that's how I would say our program is, is really different. And we're teaching not just the what of marketing, right? Because a lot of, for example, digital transformation was a key driver for this program. A lot of more senior marketers are looking to, you know, fill some gaps. Um, so those, what I call the what, but we're also really teaching the how. So how to be a good leader, how are you, um, you know, how do you manage the C-suite? Um, empathy is obviously a, a big aspect of <laughs> leadership. I also wrote about that in my book, but obviously that translates to the role of a leader, but also as a good marketing communications person, connecting with your target audience. Um, so really, I think that's another key element of, of, of the program. It's, it's really marrying being data-driven, this whole data world that we're living in, with this more human-centered approach of uh, looking behind the numbers, looking at the why people are doing it, what they're feeling. Um, and and uh, yeah, it's, I cannot say... Uh, enough about the program. We're so excited. It's it's uh, it's launching in in September, and um, yeah, it's going to be really fun and and, and amazing. So, so I want to talk a little bit about the empathy in a minute because I actually had it written down next <laughs> to talk about, and you already brought it up. But um, but there's two things there. First of all, I personally like I get crazy with data driven. I think it should be data informed. It's my own personal viewpoint because the data driven makes me nuts, but I understand that that's our catchphrase out there. But, you know, one of the things that I've been reading too, and I'm wondering if you expect this is going to people, some of these people might apply for this, is that a lot of the people on the tech side are now they're saying that they may, because there's so much automation, there's so much technical aspect that is going on in marketing, that some of those people may be the, on the next, the next reign of CMOs. So do you, do you, are you, do you think that is a group that will be interested in something like this? I think so. Yes, I think so. I think we're going to have, you know, a mixture of people that are in the program, but definitely the group that you just described. Obviously, they've been um, becoming more and more. Um, I mean, they're growing. Right. So so the companies that um, they either founded or joined when they were younger or smaller are growing. And with that comes different uh, responsibilities. Um, and, and, and again, kind of a more classic um, CPG CMO can also learn a lot from a more DTC-oriented, direct-to-consumer-oriented tech uh, CMO. Um, and, you know, and, and, and both parts of that equation are very important. So I think definitely, yes, I think uh, people with that background will benefit greatly from a program like this. Again, you're getting the, you know, kind of, a, I think our... Uh, Academic director Michael Diamond calls it the 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 plumbing and the poetry of uh, <laughs> of marketing. Um, and I and I that sounds like good, Michael. <laughs> I think that's a good good uh, good way to describe it too. Yeah. And is this in person or is this Zoom or or is this combination? Because I could see where you get people from who are not necessarily living in New York who would be interested in this. Sure, sure. Yes. 
So it's a combination. So we really designed it for executives that are busy, working professionals full time, probably also have a family. And, you know, how how do we make sure that this is doable for them? So it's um, it, the, the program starts in September with a kickoff in person. So a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But then it's 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 remote, except for uh, uh, three additional weekends, which is basically a Friday afternoon and a Saturday morning. Perfect. Mm -hmm. um, and in between, you do have. Um, asynchronous videos that you're you're watching and then every other week there is a live zoom to connect with the community and the cohort and your professors so it's a combination but it's very much geared toward um, you know it, it, it's set up in a part-time way so that people that are very busy can still can still do it while getting the benefits of meeting their cohort because again that's such a big aspect yeah, of this, no. those connections Okay, so let's let's before I I want to get into this empathy thing. So how do you see this playing into it? Because I, I it seems like something I'm talking about constantly when I'm talking to anybody, including people who are on my podcast, and yet it seems, and I think it's such a critical skill, not just in business, but as a human being. But it seems that we're also at the same time we're talking about it a lot, and it seems to be very lacking in the world. So um, can you talk about how you see this all fitting in? Yes, of course. So empathy, we've noticed that empathy, for example, is a huge driver in innovation. Sure, you've heard about the term design thinking. Uh, so, you know, when we talked earlier about data-driven and human-centered, this, this really falls into this human-centered approach, which we, you know, we cannot see as less important than the data. I 100% agree with you. It's really side-by-side. -side, and when combined, each becomes stronger. So at the heart or at the kind of the fundamental thing within, within um, something like design thinking is, is empathy. And what do we mean with design thinking? Again, that relates to innovation. It's keeping the consumer, your customer in mind when you think about solutions and really thinking, looking at the world through their eyes, trying to understand what they are experiencing, where they may have needs, and um, and coming up with solutions for them. If you don't have empathy, you're you're kind of observing someone, but you're kind of looking at them. You don't really feel what they're feeling. And so it's it's you know the effects of it are immeasurable. Um, and it's not just as you said, it's not just as a professional or a marketer. It's also as a human being, which comes back in your leadership style, um, which then changes people's motivations that work in your team. And literally, it just becomes such a positive, reinforcing trait to have. And, and trait is not even doing it justice. I think it's a form of being. If you're more empathetic as a human being, um, you, you're happier yourself, for one. Um, and secondly, it just, it's just such a positive feedback loop. People around you start mirroring it and, um, and, and coming back again to the degree uh, how this relates to a marketer's role is very much, I think, linked to satisfying your customers and, um, and, and coming up with innovations that could really change people's lives. And it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to learn. It's a hard thing to teach. Um, you know, what I what I've read about it is that, you know, that's where literature and film and story become so important because you can lose yourself and understand where someone else is coming from. 
um, unless you were raised, I happened to have been raised by two parents who were like ridiculously empathetic. So it was in my, it was in my DNA from the beginning, but not everyone's like that. Not, not everyone's like that. And it's hard to see the world from, especially right now, we all, as we're yeah. in this place of in our own bubbles all the time. Um, so it becomes that much more important, especially in the leadership role, especially yes. in the leadership role. Yes, absolutely. I mean, um, you see a difference though with 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 different companies you know that that are that are practicing it uh right now we also see a whole kind of um group of companies thankfully looking into more inclusive design for example so when you have empathy you don't only look at you know the mainstream target audience but you really try to think you know who you know who else should we be thinking of or who are we unintentionally excluding Right. I, I, I like to give this example of, of, of the brand Willow. Um, you know, I, I have two young children at home and any young mother would tell you when you just have a baby and you want to breastfeed your child, but you're working. So you have to pump. My gosh, Joanne, the, the products that are out there, they look literally like they were made by an engineer, probably <laughs> someone who is not uh, who is not using the product. It is so um, it looks so kind of uh, medical and clunky. You have to sit somewhere, you plug it in. And so Willow came in and really started from a place of empathy. And, um, you know, they actually went and, and actually talked to mothers, young mothers and mothers-to-be. And they actually tried to use the current products that are out there while they maybe need to jump on a work call or they have to go somewhere quickly and through these interviews and, and through these kind of, um, you know, observations, they really found out that this is not working, you know, and we need something that doesn't feel like a medical device that feels more like an um, um, kind of a, um, how do you call it? Like just, you know, that you can use on the, on the go. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and they came up with, with something that, you know, I actually, as a young mother used, um, you literally, it's, it's a mobile, it's, it's detached, so you don't have to plug it in. You can charge it like a mobile phone, and it fits in your undergarment. You can literally be driving a car while wow. using it on your way to a meeting, and, um, and it works, and it's just, and it's perfect, and it's just amazing that this only recently came out. That was kind of, for me, as a, you know, as a marketer, as well as a young mother, I was thinking, this is just, uh, you know, unbelievable that this is just coming out. And, it's, you know, so there, there, that's well, kind of a prime example of empathy in action, I think. Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. I, I have a feeling you and I could talk all day, but I have a couple of other things I want to, I want to segue for a minute. We're coming out of the pandemic and um, you were actually in Colorado, if I'm not mistaken, before Correct. coming back to New York, which again is like opposite. People kept saying everyone's leaving New York, which if anyone's trying to buy or rent right now, we'll find out is not true because <laughs> everything is, yeah. through the, is through the roof. Um, was it part of the pandemic that brought you back? I mean, how, because you think Colorado happens to be one of my favorite states in the nation. I used to ski a lot, so I really like it there. Can you talk a little bit about how all this happened? And Sure, during, sure. Yes. So first of all, Colorado is an amazing place. It's, we, we moved there, I think um, it was uh, six years ago when we were actually starting our family and thinking, OK, we actually want to leave the big city. And I had this you know, amazing opportunity to at the uh, Leeds School of Business. And um, it was really nice. Also, while the, the kids were 
still very young. Um, but I have to say, you know, going back to the first question you asked me, where are you from? You know, I feel very much like a global citizen. And I was really missing the buzz and energy of a place like New York um, and New York City. And for us also, on a very personal note, all our family, they're in Europe. So, you know, then, then you know, if there are no direct flights from Denver to Amsterdam, no. then, it becomes, <laughs> then it becomes kind of a, you know, a tough sell to yourself to... Um, so, so, so yes, we actually, and we always intended, we always uh, said, we'll go there for a couple of years and come back, come back, quote unquote, home. Uh, and so happy to be back here. And, and of course, like I do see the, the remains of the pandemic. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, 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 it feels still somewhat a little kind of everybody, I mean, everywhere, right? It's not just New York. I feel we're all kind of coming out of the woodwork. It, it feels like, uh, since very recent, um, but it's just so nice. So nice to be back here and, and at NYU. So it's been it's yes. been great. Yes. Well, I'm a big believer. New York always returns. Um, it sometimes it takes a little longer than other times. So yes. we are here. So I would like to finish up with a little. I like to end with a quick lightning round of questions. Are you up for this? I hope so. Someone's going to tell me no one day. No, I don't want to do that. Are you good with Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I'm I'm all for it. Okay. Your favorite social network? Instagram. Uh huh. Something people would never guess about you. That I used to do improv comedy. I was performing. Aha, aha, aha. Now that, I think that's an excellent skill as an educator, as a business person. I've taken some improv classes because I have a friend who runs a studio downtown and made me, made, made me try it out. Um, the last series that you binged. This is us. Oh, I know I'm, I'm watching the end of it. It's like, oh my gosh, stuff. it's such, it's such a feel show. Um, food you can't live without. Chocolate. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, it's crazy how much we have in common. What you miss most about pre-COVID life? Just random getting together with friends and, you know, grabbing a glass of wine and going to each other's homes unannounced and just, just, being more connected in Spon person. Spontaneity, Spontaneity I know. Yes, yeah, I'm right yes. there with you. And what motivates you to get up in the morning? My children. <laughs> what a yes. good answer. What a good answer. The, the light of my life. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so where can people find you and learn more about the program? And I will put all those links in the show notes. Yes, I would say if you go to um, NYU SBS's homepage, and go to the program, or if you just Google um, executive uh, masters in marketing and strategic communications, NYU, we pop right up. Uh, there you can find most about the program. Um, everybody can feel free to connect with me directly as well. The quickest way to find me, that's why I kind of paused when you asked me about my favorite social media. I'm really not that much into social media, so it was a hard question to answer. <laughs> so um, the quickest way to find me is actually LinkedIn. So literally, if you go LinkedIn and, and uh, type Aria, um, love to connect with folks. Anyone has any questions? Um, yeah. Uh, it was so nice to be here, yes. Joanne. Thank you again for yes. inviting and, me. And I am also going to put the link to your book, which is available. I hope it's available. It's available on Amazon. Yes. Now. Oh, yes. My book. Um, oh, see, so I forgot about that. There is also, yes, the Amazon link to my book. Yes. Yes. This, this is just a, uh, it's a, it's a short read and it's, I love the shape of it. I love everything about it. Um, and um, I think everyone would want to get a copy of that as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you so much. 
Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember, whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there. <laughs>